BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Residents at Brightview Senior Living Communities enjoy enhanced possibilities, independence, and choice. Brightview Dulles Corner in Herndon and Brightview Great Falls offer vibrant senior independent living, assisted living, and memory care services through various daily programs and cultural events. Chef-prepared meals, safety and security, transportation, resort-style amenities, and high-quality care. Everything you need is here. Discover more at brightviewseniorliving.com. Equal housing opportunity. Busy weekends are a breeze with American Express Platinum Card. 8 a.m., wait to board plane in the Centurion Lounge. <sighs> Much better. 2 p.m., grab seats for the game. Ah! 6 p.m., book an exclusive reservation with Resi Global Dining Access. Right this way. Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to the Centurion Lounge, must-see live events, and exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply. This is Sharp Money with Patrick Maher and Amal Shaw on VSIN, the sports betting network. Just underway on the Friday edition of Sharp Money, live from downtown Las Vegas. Bar Canada at the D. We'll get into some college football here later on this hour, but right now I'm all Shaw. Some breaking news coming out in the NFL. This is around the time we get a lot of injury reports here. And in the Green Bay Packers-Chicago Bears game, Packers without projected leading wide receiver Christian Watson, been dealing with a hamstring injury, suffered late in camp. Officially head coach Matt LaFleur says outs, and Romeo Dobbs remains questionable as he works through his injuries on his own not not the greatest outlook from a wide receiver perspective for new quarterback Jordan Love well Ben you're from that hotbed of tourism Milwaukee Wisconsin huge Packer fan what does the impact of Watson being out have on Jordan Love in this offense look it's certainly significant and you you can't say that there's no no drop-off whatsoever I was already ready to downgrade Green Bay slightly because of the perceived absence of Watson but even even if Dobbs and Watson are both out guys I used to look at this as a game where Green Bay should be favored by probably a field goal, if not north of it. Legitimately, the only thing Chicago has going for them in this game is the fact that the Packers with a second-worst run defense a season ago and the Bears have a great rushing quarterback in Justin Fields. Outside of that, I don't really understand where the love has come for a Chicago team that still has a ton of holes defensively. And I'm not really sure how an offensive line that has been retooled but doesn't have much reps together will hold up against a really, really good general front seven secondary for Green Bay that should understand from previous film on fields, as long as you make that a one-dimensional offense for Chicago, force them to throw the ball, you're likely to have success. So I still favor Green Bay in the game. It's certainly a big impact losing Watson, but like the Packers, even with this injury. Yeah, line's down to one now. Uh, Money line's 115 on the Bears. Packers minus 105. So you're going to play this game, play the money line either way. There's no reason to lay a point. or You can take the point if you want for an extra five cents. Actually, not a bad play to take it for an extra five cents there with the Packers. But overall, good opportunities there uh, in terms of this matchup. The only reason I say to take... um, you can take the plus one there, and it's an extra five cents. Not a big deal. It's better than normally you'd pay ten cents for a half a point. So, not uh, too far of a reach there. But not it's, it, no, it's not. It's going to be interesting. I want to see how this Bears team performs. I think a lot of people want to see how Justin Fields and company play. By the way, one other thing, I, did, I just saw it on the board. I didn't realize this game is a four twenty-five Eastern start, three twenty-five local in Chicago and Wisconsin. So, just something I, I would have expected this to be in that one o'clock window, but late window here. 
the old uh, the Fox Prime crew gets this game with Bears and Packers and head coach Matt LaFleur. And we have some sound from him as well as his team gets ready. Big divisional matchup to open the season there in the Windy City. Yeah, I think any time that you can string together a few completions, that typically builds the confidence up a little bit. Um, so whether how you do it, there's a lot of different ways. It could shoot. It could be taking a shot down the field. It could be a, throwing a screen. So, but yeah, I think that's important to, to try to do, get them in the, in the flow of the game. And I think typically you do that just by getting more plays. So whether, even if it's running the football and you get some first downs, but you, you just gotta, you gotta string together a few plays to help really everybody get into a rhythm. And that's why I look at it, guys, and I, I look, you know, I say from the defensive backfield perspective, cluster injuries for the Chicago Bears, Jaquan, uh, Jaquan Brisker and Eddie Jackson, two key pieces at the safety room, each questionable heading into this game. A bottom five run and pass defense from a season ago. So just because you take out Christian Watson at wide receiver, it's not like Jordan Love is just going to have no chance against the 85 Bears. That, that's not the case at all. And so I, I think what Matt LaFleur kind of just laid out there is the realistic expectations for how Love's going to perform. And I, I look at his improvements in preseason and go, game speed has clearly slowed down for him. It's just, can he avoid making the big mistake on the throws right in front of him? I haven't seen enough of him to make an assessment or a comment in terms of where he really is. I think we'll get a better idea this week. But even still, you mentioned it, the Bears defense, not elite. It's not going to remind anybody of the 85 Bears. So a long way to go. But a good opportunity for Green Bay to get a start on a road opponent in division with the Lions coming off of a win and Minnesota looking like they should get a good opportunity for a win at home against the Buccaneers. By the way, that line now painted one and a half, so the Watson News did drive this up uh, another half point, so it's back into that long teaser territory if you're interested in Green Bay. And you can now get, if you shop around them all, you can find plus 105 on that money line as well, so there's been a little bit more of a gap there. This wasn't, Dustin, you have bet like every game on the board, and somehow this was not one of them, which I'm, I'm stunned at. So I, I have an issue with everyone in the marketplace who's obsessed with Jordan Love despite seeing very little from him. And I, That's fair. Not, not to say that my skepticism is fair either, but I really don't see what everyone else is seeing in the limited action that he's been out there for. And I'm definitely not taking anything away from the preseason. The base defense and shell coverages these quarterbacks see in the preseason do not dictate what you're going to see in a real NFL game. And I'm not saying that either way. I'm not saying I'm doubting him because of that. I'm not saying I'm pro him because of his success. I'm just saying that we have to wait and see on Jordan Love, but I am leaning towards the side where I don't think he's the dude everyone's acting like they believe he is based on them also not seeing everything I didn't see. I, I didn't see one part of your statement that was pro uh, Jordan Love. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just being real here. Yeah. I'm Call not saying he stinks. I'm just saying he's not good. I would say from having watched every snap Jordan Love has taken in his three NFL preseasons, there's been an obvious growth, which you would expect when you're yep. in the same system for three seasons. How will that translate? I, I think you make a good point, Dustin. It's impossible to say. I don't know that the, the pros being all over Green Bay in this game, though, has anything to do with sure. expecting, oh, Love's just going to look well, no, like, like Brett too. People, people picked them to win the division. JVT loves them to win the division. He was all over it yesterday. I get it. All the other pieces are good. But can we still remember that Aaron Rodgers a year ago struggled with those weapons on the outside to have a consistent flow on offense? The run game's there. The O-line of Bakhtiari's healthy is there. Jordan Love a little more athletic than Aaron <laughs> Rodgers at this point in, in Rodgers' yeah. career. 
I get where, where everyone's coming from from that, but I just, I don't see Jordan Love as a guy who's going to win you ball games. That's why I look at it just as a, you have to kind of separate the week one handicap from season long. They're yes. going to be tremendous growing pains for Green Bay. This is a great spot, though, if you compare the strengths and weaknesses of Green Bay and Chicago I agree. for the Packers. And that's why I think you're seeing a big – you've seen the big market movement already from Green Bay plus three to plus one and a half over the summer. Absolutely agree with that. So what you're saying, Dustin, though, then Aaron Rodgers' play t- uh, tapering off a little bit had to do with the fact that he didn't have a great supporting cast. Now that he's got an absolute dude at receiver and a dude at running back, the Jets are going to win this division. <laughs> oh, I, I actually think I have the Jets to win the Super Bowl. I think they're going to be awesome. I'm just making sure. Don't you also have Baltimore to win the Super Bowl? Which he's got, got three. He's got three picks. Okay. It's, well, it's I, not I, unreasonable. I, I'm going to have four Super Bowl bets, and they're, they're all going to be like 17 to one or greater. Okay. So he's got the Dolphins, the Ravens, and the Jets. All right. Well, you bring up Baltimore. I, I, I actually five. Dustin, I, I don't understand why the you know the market has been very sour on this Baltimore team. A lot of buzz about the Ravens maybe missing the playoffs this season. I love how they'll be changing the offense with the new OC and Todd Munkin, who's going to push the ball down the field. I have some sound from him just on what the expectations will be right away, how we should expect this new offense to look in week one against Houston. It doesn't seem universal to me. It seems pretty normal um, that the guy in charge uh, has a big say in what you do and how we do it. Um, his career is on the line. How we have success is on the line. Now, with that being said, um, I think the more you empower people, it's not just a quarterback, the more you empower people, your coaches, your staff, people that work for you all, the more you empower them, to me, you're going to get more out of them. They're going to embrace their role. They're going to want to be, they're going to bring ideas to you. If you poo-poo every idea someone has, they stop bringing you ideas. It just works that way. Now you got to earn that. You know, you don't just allow anybody to have control of an offense or changing things or in any business. You don't allow just anybody to uh, to be empowered without earning that. That comes with that. But I think it's it's the only way to be elite. I learned that from people empowering me. That's not something I developed. This isn't a Todd Munkin thing. That is a life. That is a life thing. Holy cow, this guy should be a spokesman for Ambient. Jesus. You don't you get, think he had relevant things to say, Mr. Motivational Speaker? Yeah, you got the third person reference in there really well at the end of all. Dude, what is this guy, half a melatonin? I mean, my God, this guy can put people to sleep. Did you not listen to the words he was saying? Yeah, I love the third person Todd Munkin reference. Oh, my God. He came across as a very smart guy in terms of leadership and managing people. You, you're you're all about motivation, motivating people and trying to get the most out of them, and you're going to just dismiss his message i'm not dismissing his message the problem was i was not enthused by listening to it oh my god my god can you imagine an arrowhead when they're in the headset there he's gonna barely be able to audible the play down there they're gonna barely be able to hear it that's probably why the voice sounds that way for for viewers of yelling into head the preseason he had to yell at these guys well well you know over time that that stuff up tends to play out i'm just really interested on the, the market move we, we've seen so far, guys, in Texans and Ravens for week one, where I understand that it takes time for a new system to be integrated and have success. We're talking about a Houston offensive line that's in complete tatters. Three yep. of the projected five opening day starters are either going to be severely banged up or out. Head coach D'Amico Ryans makes his debut and let yet, you know, at Circa yesterday, a huge bet came in on Houston at plus 10, moving the number all the way down to nine, which does not make any sense to me. Dustin, I know you disagree. No, no. Actually, uh, I I think if you're going to bet this game, Houston is the side. Since 2005, double-digit favorites in week one, uh, 50-50. Never mind. I thought I had a better number on that. (laughs) 
I swore I had a better number on that. But, okay, even if it was, let's say, 60%, every game you have to apply the context. You really want, I mean, this is a rookie head coach. Rookie head coaches and all tend to struggle in the first yeah. few weeks getting in, used to their new system. You really want to bet CJ no, Stroud on the road with no offensive line? It's not, it's 5 and 10 ATS, not 5 out of 10. Ravens, ra yeah. So you're saying the home team is 5 and 10 ATS? No, no, no. The favorite in the 10 points. Yeah, 5, to, yeah, five and 10 ATS. Okay, great. That's a huge sample size. 15 games? <laughs> That's a 15 game sample size. Big, big sample size. All right, we'll transition. Some college football talk comes your way right after this on Sharp Money. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Residents at Brightview Senior Living Communities enjoy enhanced possibilities, independence, and choice. Brightview Dulles Corner in Herndon and Brightview, Great Falls, offer vibrant senior independent living, assisted living, and memory care services through various daily programs and cultural events. Chef-prepared meals, safety and security, transportation, resort-style amenities, and high-quality care. Everything you need is here. Discover more at brightviewseniorliving.com. Equal housing opportunity. An epic matchup between your two favorite teams, and you're at the game getting the most from what it means to be here with American Express. You breeze through the card member entrance, stop by the lounge. Now it's almost tip-off, and everyone's already on their feet. This is going to be good. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your live sports experience at AmericanExpress.com slash with Amex. Eligible American Express card required. Benefits vary by card and by venue. Terms apply. This is Sharp Money with Patrick Maher and Amal Shaw on VSIN, the sports betting network. Before you make your next bet, be sure to visit VSIN.com to check the current betting splits data. Want to know where the money and bets are moving every game? The betting switch page is updated with DraftKings odds every five minutes. So you can see changes in all the action. Find out where the public is betting based on the number of tickets and where the money doesn't match the public opinion. You can check out not only today's action, but future events as well. Betting splits are another way VSIN is here to make you a smarter, better year-round. Check out today's betting splits for every game at vcin.com. We will return to the National Football League in a little bit, but right now let's dive in. Huge weekend, week two in college football, a number of marquee matchups, guys, and it really starts with Texas and Alabama. There were some seven and a halves in the market, but um, all those have all since vanished. So if you wanted the Longhorns, you had chances to get seven and a half. Now we're seeing sevens pretty much painted uh, market-wide as the Longhorns go to T-Town on uh, Saturday night. Yeah, I'm not worried about that. I think Texas is going to win the ballgame. I think Jalen Milrow is going to get exposed. He's a tremendous player. He's a great runner, but he's not a dual threat yet. It's going to take some time before he improves upon his accuracy. It's not going to happen in this game. For some reason, people think uh, Middle Tennessee is the 85 Bears, and all of a sudden now Jalen Milrow should be the front runner for the Heisman. Forget about Caleb Williams. Forget about Sam Hartman. Forget about Michael Penix and everybody else and everyone in between. Look, Alabama's a good football team. They've got a ton of talent, but they're not as good as they've been in years past. Texas is in a huge revenge spot here. If you watch the game closely last year, they had a bad call in the end zone go against them. Uh, they had Will Anderson. They had uh, some other talent in the back of that defense. They, they're just not as good, in my opinion, even though Malachi Moore is banged up in this one. Dallas Turner's going to have to have a uh, big day. 
if he can, then I think they've got a shot. Even though the game is at home, I think Texas has got the talent and the ability to win this game. Jatavion Sanders is going to have a monster day for the Horns. He is going to be a key for this team. The tight end number zero, he is an absolute all-airport team guy. This guy's the first guy you want off the bus. I think he's going to be a tough matchup for this Alabama defense. They've got a good football team. I'm not taking anything away from what the Crimson Tide can do this year. But I think Texas right now is in their best position they've been in a long time, and I think Alabama is arguably in their worst position they've been in a long time. Texas losing last year at home as three touchdown underdogs by a single point with quarterback Quinn Ewers getting injured. When you say from the pure handicap perspective of them all, you mentioned how sometimes we overreact, especially in college football when you're playing a a patsy of a week one opponent. This is one of those handicaps you just look at your preseason inkling, and that's just how you, you break down the game. Because you could also say on the Texas side, I mean, they, they treated that Rice opponent like they were being paid to essentially play in like a charity function at South by Southwest. They looked zero, they had zero interest in playing that game whatsoever. So I, I look at the game and go, this should be purely based on your preseason instincts, not at all what we watched from either team in week one. Yeah, Rice and Texas, the previous time they had played to last year, Texas beat them like 56 nothing or somewhere in that range, Some, something ridiculous, maybe 55-10. I don't recall exactly, but... You know, when you look at this game, uh, Ewers was fine. He was 19 for 30 for 263 touchdowns, no INTs. Blue ran the ball for uh, 10 for 55 and Brooks for 12 for 52. Not a bad balance there. Uh, But to me, you've got Worthy, Whittington, Sanders. These are guys that are capable of having big days. Worthy goes 7 for 90. Look, Xavier Worthy is in that second to third tier of receivers in college football. For me, that first tier is Roma Dunzier, uh, McMillan at Washington, Harrison, Agbuka, uh, Dorian Singer potentially at USC and then Worthy comes in that second range he is not at those guys level because he's inconsistent tomorrow he can't afford any drops I don't care if it's a quick out if it's a deep pass the one thing that plagues him in every game is a little bit of inconsistency if he can be more consistent Ben I think they've got a great shot and a great opportunity in this game this Texas team I, I can promise you this Yes, the Oklahoma game is there, but remember they murdered, and I mean straight up murdered. There's a homicide investigation still open in Dallas based on what transpired at the Red River last year. And you look at this is the game they've circled all year. This is the one that gets Texas back to national recognition and respect. You're going to win in Alabama. You win in Tuscaloosa. That's going to give you a lot of cachet, whether you deserve it or not, based on what Alabama's this year remains to be seen. But this is the stepping stone towards Texas for Joe Tessitore after 20 damn years saying they're back. They could actually be back. <laughs> you, you were only two points off on the Texas Rice. Uh, 58 nothing. from oh, two 58 nothing. Okay. Hence why maybe there was not, yeah, you, you could tell, not a lot of urgency from Texas. Did not cover his well over 30-point favorites last week in their home opener. Here's what the head coach Steve Sarkeesian has to say about the mindset heading in as Texas goes to Tuscaloosa tomorrow night. Uh, we're focused on what we need to do. Uh, the moment you start focusing on what the outcome could be, what the result could be, the game hits you in the mouth and you lose. So we got to focus on what we need to do. Uh, naturally, Bryant-Denny Stadium is a, a heck of an environment. They do a tremendous job at Alabama with their with their game day, uh, the electricity in the stadium. Uh, but the key to the drill is focus on what we need to do. And we can't get caught up thinking we're going to play all 17 teams that, that Coach Saban's had the last 17 years. And, we, and the players and the coaches on we're playing the 2023 Alabama football team which is very good and they're very well coached it's going to be a it's going to be a great environment for college football all that being said we need to focus on what we need to do guys I can tell you right now Steve Sarkeesian doesn't believe this team is that good Having been in Tuscaloosa, he knows what he's seen. The best part of this Alabama team right now is on the offensive line. J.C. Latham's probably going to be a first-round pick, the tackle for the Crimson Tide. He's a tremendous talent. But other than that, when you look at Jermaine Burton, the transfer in from Georgia two years ago. Jermaine Burton, I remember when he transferred there. I get he didn't want to play with Stetson Bennett, in essence. You want to play with Bryce Young, that would be the prudent move. 
But Jermaine Burton is not as good as Jermaine Burton thinks he is. When you look at this team yeah. right now, they're just, they don't have the talent. They don't have that dude at tight end. The defensive front outside of Dallas Turner, and he is not in the same class as Will Anderson. I'm a huge Dallas Turner fan. You look at the linebacking court. They're not as good as we've seen in years past. The secondary solid, not elite. This is a good football team. This is not a great football team. Alabama has lost three games once in the last 15 years. This could be a season where they lose three games if they don't get things on track tomorrow night in Tuscaloosa. Doesn't mean they can't win the game. Doesn't mean they can't cover. But I can tell you right now from a betting standpoint, it's the shorthorns all day, baby. It's a hard one for me to look at. Like, you know, I bet everything. This is one of those things where I look at this game and all I see is a Texas team that has all the known commodities, right? Alabama's normally, we, we know all these players coming back. We already have them projected into first and second round draft slots. The question is, will it be them or Georgia with more draft picks in the first round this year? Ohio State, please continue. Yeah, okay, whatever. Uh, you know, I'd take the wager on that right now. What? Ohio State has more first round picks than any team in college football this year. Yeah, but I'm not. I just wanted to correct you. That's all. Let's go. I'm, I'm literally going to hang myself on this camera. <laughs> Promise? I was just making a reference yeah, to the I'm fact that over, over the last few years, it's always been Georgia or, or Alabama. It was a casual throwaway comment. The, the, everyone watching me understood what I was saying, but Amal needed to jump in and ruin my train of thought. So the known commodities are the side of Texas. It's the first time Alabama's going to a big game like this where you're going, I don't know what they have. They only return like four or five guys on offense, four or five guys on defense. Like you just don't know what they are. Also have a new offensive coordinator for them, Tommy Reese. I don't know how Tommy Reese is going to perform in a big game in a big situation like this. And on the other side, I love what Texas brought in. They have a deep running back room. You talked about Worthy on the outside. The defense is really good. But I cannot bet against Nick Saban in big games, so I'm completely staying away from this game. Well, I, look, I tend to stay away from the, you know, the huge marquee, everybody's on them games. But you, know, you talk about Texas being a known commodity. We, we have known them as a team that, that gets up for the, you know, the top 10 opponents, even if the, like the issues with Texas historically over the last few years have been the inability to get up for, say, the, the subpar Big 12 team yeah, where yes. they completely lay an egg. Look, since Texas beat Georgia, if you go all the way back to the Sugar Bowl 2019, they have faced six top 10 teams over the last four seasons. They have not won a single one of those, but they have lost by seven or less every single time. That's why I have to think a lot of betters look at this and all they go, really? I'm getting seven? Even at some point, seven and a half? That's definitely a spread bet they'd be willing to make. You said including the 2019 season? That's Yeah, starting with 2019, they yeah. lost to LSU, LSU by 40, seven. 45-38 yeah. yeah. in that game in Austin, right? That was a tight game. Nobody remembers that LSU was going to go on to become what they became in that season. So I think you're absolutely right. This team plays to a level of competition. I think that's one of the biggest knocks we've seen with the Horns over the decades in terms of playing up or down to the level of competition. This is the perfect spot if you look at Texas. I, I don't know if you necessarily say in the last 10 years if this is 100% their best roster or their best scenario, but I think it is from a quarterback standpoint. And you've got a perfect scenario from um, the other side with when you look at Alabama, the most uncertainty they've had a quarterback since I can recall uh, going back to probably uh, Parker Wilson or, yeah. or J John Parker Wilson or even when finally they started A.J. McCarron. There's a lot of uncertainty there. Milrow's got tremendous ability, but if Texas covers sideline to sideline with him running the football, I'm going to tell you right now, I stuff the box and say, if Jalen Milrow beats us thrown through there, God bless you. You can have the win. Have a nice day. Blake Barnett. That was the last time. But Blake Barnett was a big time five-star recruit. No, but I'm Looked saying, like but, Tarzan. Played like Jane. There was another guy he was battling too. For, I'm saying to have questions going no. into the year at quarterback position. But I think that time when Barnett was battling, and I, I forgot who he was up against. I was he, it was Sims. Something was it Philip Sims? Sims? Yeah, Philip Sims. Sims. And so... Not that uh, Phil Sims. Okay. No, no. Yeah. This was Philip Sims. But um, 
the point is, you look at this team, they had three guys battling it out this year, and they just really don't have the guy. You know, when you look at Milrow's ability, Dustin, he is so quick and he's got so much ability. If he could ever throw the ball, they wouldn't even been a contest. Also, the fact that there are those two other guys that they sort of somewhat believe in, could that hurt them getting into, if they run into trouble early, would they pull out Milrow, go to someone else, have a totally different look, and hope they can catch Texas by surprise? I can tell you right now, if we see Tyler Buckner in the game. I was just going to say. What's that? Look, well, if, if he is in, uh, you might want to be getting the live wager no, in as, well, no, as soon bet, as possible. Bet the Alabama team total under. Well, if, or that. If Tyler Buckner is in the game, that's going to be my luck bet of the year then. <laughs> Tyler Buckner can't play, I, dude. I How this guy's on a Division One scholarship I is beyond me. There's a reason why he couldn't cut the mustard at Notre Dame. But they believe in him for some reason. Uh, they might be high. I have right, no they, idea. Or called they go Tommy to, Reese. There's still right. Ty Simpson, who's a big recruit. This is Sharp Money with Patrick Maher and Amal Shaw on VSIN, the sports betting network. Hour number two of Sharp Money, live from downtown Las Vegas. It is Bar Canada at the D. It is our first Friday of NFL games to talk about, so let's get right into it. Amal Shaw is here. So pleased to be joined on the desk in studio by professional NFL handicapper Steve Fezzik. You just heard him on the Gil Alexander Megapod, which just came out, and I, I felt kind of honored, also sort of insulted, which is a great combo, that Steve came on. Name dropped me after my uh, historic upset loss in tennis to the great Todd Wishnev. So I'm glad that that was still... In, in front of your mind, Steve, uh, over a year later, which I'm, I'm kind of honored at that you would be thinking of me. So thank you. Buster Douglas only paid 40 to one when he beat Mike Tyson. Yeah. <laughs> and there were people that uh, purportedly cashed with 110 to one when um, Todd Wishnev played so far above his normal level that his nose will bleed for a year. Pretty much. Were, you, like, were you using a frying pan like Andy Roddick? Well, it was, <laughs> all right, I won the first set 6-0, and admittedly, I, I basically pulled a Texas Tech, you know? Took my foot off the gas. I was like, all right. This, Todd kept saying, well, that was a close 6-0. It was a close 6-0. It was not a close 6-0, but to his credit, he won the next set. So. I tell my son, if you win 6-0, I said, you know what? Go ahead and try experiment a little bit. Don't be beating anybody bagel bagel. Let him have a couple games. You'll be fine. They'll build character. I'm sure something similar happened. Uh, I, I like was. that. I wasn't expecting that, Steve. That's pretty good. Okay. Look at Steve Fezzik giving out tennis advice. We're going to give out a lot of NFL advice. I want to start, though, just from a, a power ratings perspective from last night. I, I told them all I found it ridiculous as we got closer and closer to kickoff. I understood the loss of Chris Jones and Travis Kelsey were massive for Kansas City. But were we really in a position to believe the Chiefs on a neutral field were giving a how, however you, you value the home field for Arrowhead, two or one and a half point favorites on a neutral against Detroit, because I thought that was insane. I bet Chiefs money line at minus 195. Obviously, I live to lose that bet, but I, I the right thing to do. And now we come out of that and go, is there an overreaction to be made? Or is that really real where we're at between the, the difference between the two teams? Yeah, it gets difficult when you get multiple stars out, right? So you look at a power rating. I don't think I'm on an island here uh, with these guys healthy. Kansas City is about a six. They're about six points better than an average team. That's pretty much start of the year where the best team in the NFL is. And Detroit got one and a half points better. I think I'm not on an island there. So I've got KC four and a half better on a neutral. Well, then we take one off for Kelsey. We take one off for Jones. And then we've got to start to think it to ourselves, but um, maybe these guys, maybe they'd be worth the point on some other team, but boy, are they really important for this team. And we really saw it, that wide receiver crew, <laughs> Mahomes played out of his mind. Mahomes is God. Really and, is. And fourth and 25, no problem. I'll just throw it out yep. there. And Todd Wish never would have caught that ball, but <laughs> yeah. not their, their receivers. You know, St Steve, I'm so glad you brought that point up. We were talking about the drop by Sky Moore earlier, Kadarius Tony on that same drive on first down and 10. 
It is unbelievable the throws that this guy makes. I remember Dustin and I were watching the game together in the first half. There was a throw. We thought the ball was intercepted. And it was actually caught. I don't remember who it was. There was another throw to uh, Van, uh, Valdez Scantling. Ben, I was actually surprised he caught the ball because I have yet to see him actually consistently catch the ball. I mean, it's usually alleged that he caught it. I mean, when you look at these receivers, they're trying to try the Patriot system. We're like, hey, we're just going to plug guys in with Brady and we're going to go. Yeah, and I think this is power rating wise. I think we're in agreement here, Ben. We're not going to upgrade Detroit much. We're not going to. I yeah. mean, we're going to certainly bump them maybe half a, half a point. So we'll make them a, a two. But to, uh, Kansas City, clearly, we got to bring them down. Uh, with both these guys still hurt, you know, I actually recommended playing Jacksonville week two on Gill's Megapod, I believe, or maybe it was on the show, but Jacksonville was catching three at home against Kansas City. They're not going to be catching three anymore, even if one of these guys comes back. Um, but Kansas City, maybe maybe we lower them to three and a half points better than yeah. average average team. That would probably be where I'll, 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 I'll go with them if they're missing these guys. For the books, by the way, that do the look-aheads, it has been adjusted. Chiefs now laying two and a half on the road in Jacksonville. So you've got, you've got the point already, and that's where it'll become interesting. You know, we start as we begin in week two. I realize we haven't even gotten to week one yet, but just from, you know, you're always looking forward. And it's like, how do you now factor in the, the cluster injuries, especially to stars like you have in Kansas City, along with now situational spots that come up where you have a Chiefs team off the, the first ever loss in the Mahomes era when the defense allows 14 points or less and with extra rest. That's where it now I think will become very tricky for a lot of betters Be- going forward. Because now the spot arguably is good for Kansas City. Off of the loss, do you really want to fade them? Well, the numbers, the power ratings are going to say yes, but um, I don't think we're going to expect Kansas City to start one and five this year. So probably fair. I would agree with you guys. I think this two and a half is a good take on Kansas City here. Three additional days of rest. Uh, Jaguars in a division game against the Colts. We'll see what happens there. I would expect them to eke out a win. I don't know if they cover it. I wouldn't want to lay that number on the road with the Jacksonville Jaguars. But overall, guys, if you look at the game, there were, and and, and I hate to say this because in the NFL, there's about four plays that determine the entire game. But these are catches that, I mean, you feel like 90% of the receivers in the National Football League would have made. This team, these guys couldn't catch a cold standing on the Arctic Circle. Well, in the pick six, I mean, a dropped pick six. So that's yeah. an eight point, you know, nine point swing on one play. The uh, when I looked at the box scores, I was actually shocked because I said, oh, I'm going to look at this box score and the Chiefs are going to you know, have dominated. And they didn't. You know, the box score said it's a pretty close game all in all, which surprised me. But obviously you add in all the yardage that got dropped by these receivers and uh, Kansas yeah. City, I would say. If they had, you know, it's interesting. If I always do this, what's getting our time machine? Go back and, and play again. You know what? Yeah, I just can't say it's still going to be a, a three and a half point favorite. You know, I don't think we, we, we go to three. Maybe we do. Maybe we say KC three, but four and a half, five, too high. For sure. Well, and you look at the thing we talked about in the first hour, something that is very hard to quantify within the actual power rating number. If, if you're doing the handicap here, and it's a head coach in Dan Campbell that is, he's, he is all over the place when it comes to the comments, the in-game decision-making. There were some good, there were some bad. Where, where do you go with him when you're, you're looking to you know, make a line? And he's still a young coach, relatively speaking, to a lot of other guys. has made great decisions, but also makes some head-scratching ones as well every game, pretty much. Yeah, well, I, I liked how aggressive he was in general. I like aggression. Yeah, it was interesting. I, had, I didn't have a problem with the fourth and 25. I don't think it was the right call, but it wasn't a horribly wrong call with Mahomes. I had there was one person on Twitter and I'm sorry I'm not attributing it to him, but it's actually brilliant. He said, you know, the optimal play was for Kansas City on 4th and 25 to run backwards to their own 9-yard line, well, their own 10, and go out of bounds. And the reason being oh, is yeah. because then they're down one. Right. They're, they still have their timeouts. Detroit can't get a first down. They're probably not going to get in the end zone. They're going to kick a field goal, and Mahomes going to be down four 
with the ball. It's a lot easier for, for Detroit to get a first down from the KC 30 than from the KC 10. That's an excellent point. However, if Sky Moore could actually catch the football, <laughs> we're not even having this conversation. Yeah. No I doubt. I mean, that ball, I, I could not have gone there and handed the football too many better. And the ball was right on the yard marker. So with his momentum, he would have fallen forward, would have had the first down regardless. But I tell you what, the one thing that does concern me a little bit with Detroit, they get stopped. Uh, I don't know where you come out. I was not thrilled with the decision to go for the fake punt on fourth and two. I thought it was an unnecessary gamble too early in the game. You know, I'm, I'm fine with, okay. but even though if it's mathematically wrong, I love fake punts and fake field goals. And here's why I'm all, even if on that one play, it's wrong yep. and it, and the risk reward doesn't justify it. I like directionally, Hey, we're the underdog. So let's, let's make the game more, more volatile, more variance. And also now every team you play the rest of the year has to say, Oh, they could, they, 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 this crazy man could fake a punt from his own 12 yard line. Great rebuttal. I like that point you made. And that is, I'd rather have my offense try and execute it. I, I always, whenever teams want to run fakes, to me, it's an indictment of your offense. Mm. You really believe that your special teams is better at executing your play? I get the element of surprise and fake. But if it was a yard or half a yard, I'd be much more apt to do it. Two yards sometimes. You know, it was like that uh, play Gibbs had earlier in the game. He was going to score on that handoff, and he blows a tire. And, and mm-hmm. my point is, if somebody ends up slipping or falling, it didn't happen. They end up scoring a touchdown on the drive. Detroit had two touchdown drives and a pick six. So there is still some concern with this offense that looked like they were really able to move the ball effectively against this Chiefs run defense. You only put up two scoring drives. One included a stop where you had to go for it on fourth down and you're inside your own 20. I, I don't think we should be playing the ticker tape parade right now in the state of Michigan just yet. I agree. And like I said, only a half point upgrade yeah. on the power rating. And you know, Lou Holtz said this when, when Notre Dame beat Miami and, and Miami tried you know, a trick play. He's like, they don't think they can beat us straight up. They got to use trickery against us. And so you, you, the one team's like, boy, our coach really doesn't believe in us. You know, we have to try this. So sure. there, there is that locker room aspect, the mental aspect of the game and confidence. To Steve's point, that was the one thing I thought, Ben. I was like, man, this sounded like an era of desperation. I'll go back to a bad loss. So Ohio State had against Florida in the national championship game in the Fiesta Bowl. They went for it on fourth and one at their own 29-yard line, down by 14 points or whatever, 21 points. I go, right there, you're telling your team you can't stop the other guy. That was my only feeling on that. But I still would agree with it because a team that's down 14 in that situation, more than likely, you can't tell me they're not going to be faced with a fourth and nine later in the game that they're going to need to convert. So if you're going to have to face a fourth and nine down the road, you may as well go for it fourth and one. I would just love to see a team on on a national spotlight game as well do the run backwards on fourth and 25 just to see the entire internet explode. Even though the point that you were citing on Twitter – very, very good. I would just love to see it actually play out and, and watch the announcers like have zero idea of how to interpret it because, you know, there are so many things. Yeah, if you go and listen to the Megapod, you guys talked about a number of scenarios that are now starting to be more mathematically accepted, but you are, we're still kind of a ways away from coaches actually adopting it, and you kind of wonder... When does the pendulum swing to that side? To summarize, the word is out. Everyone knows you're down 14 late in the game and you score a touchdown. I mean, sharp fifth grader knows you go for two. You know, I mean, literally my son, that's obvious, daddy. The decision tree, you win 62.5% of the time instead of 50% if the teams are equal. And yet, all the time, the announcers, not in the country is aware of this. They're like, wow, they're going for two down eight, huh? I want want to address a couple things. First of all, to get that job, you have to have a stupidity in football. You can't be smart about it. I mean, it's unbelievable how many times. uh, You know how many times Mike Tirico's wrong on the math? He's like, oh, if they had not gone for two there. I'm like, buddy, there'd be a two-point differential. Are you not able to do the math? It's it's unbelievable how inept they are when it comes to that aspect of it. The other thing is, though, in reference to that, how come nobody's blaming Aaron Glenn on that fourth and 25? Pass, rush four, maybe a fifth guy if you want. Why are you not? Your defense should have seven guys 
15 yards off the line of scrimmage or further back. How is it that the ball drops in over two defenders? Can you explain to me on a fourth and 25, a fourth and a quarter of the football field, how you allow that it, to happen? It was shades of Ed Donatel, fourth and 26, the Fred, Freddie Mitchell catch in Philadelphia. If you want to, really was. If you want to catch a 60-yard bomb, all right, you know, it, yeah. my, my quarterback falls down, whatever. My safety yeah. falls down. But you but you are not going to complete a 26-yard pass on fourth and 25. And you know what? If, if you can do a hook and lateral and somehow get it, that's, that's, fine. that's fine too. But that's unacceptable that a guy it, – it, it's what do you think he's going to throw? A 26-yard pass. No, that's exactly right. And, and to Steve's point, Ben, how is it that the defense wasn't – their depth wasn't enough? The ball should not fall right over, right at the line the yard, line to gain. <laughs> So many questions, like so many specific things. You say what? Four, you know, four plays a game can decide an outcome. You could make the argument. Last night there were about a half dozen that completely flipped the game one way or another. But we're not here to look back. We're here to move on. We'll talk about some mistakes betters might be making in general in Week One with Steve Fezzik when we come back. Dive into the whole NFL Week One card on the other side, right here on Beeson Sharp Money. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Residents at Brightview Senior Living Communities enjoy enhanced possibilities, independence, and choice. Brightview Dulles Corner in Herndon and Brightview Great Falls offer vibrant senior independent living, assisted living, and memory care services through various daily programs and cultural events. Chef-prepared meals, safety and security, transportation, resort-style amenities, and high-quality care. Everything you need is here. Discover more at brightviewseniorliving.com. Equal housing opportunity. An epic matchup between your two favorite teams, and you're at the game getting the most from what it means to be here with American Express. You breeze through the card member entrance, stop by the lounge. Now it's almost tip-off, and everyone's already on their feet. This is going to be good. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your live sports experience at AmericanExpress.com slash with Amex. Eligible American Express card required. Benefits vary by card and by venue. Terms apply. This is Sharp Money with Patrick Maher and Amal Shaw on VSIN, the sports betting network. It is our number three of Sharp Money live from downtown Las Vegas. We're here at Bar Canada at the D, joined by Amal Shaw, our producer Dustin Sweetelson along as well. I'm Ben Wilson in for Patrick today. True honor we have right now, Amal, welcoming in our guy Mike Samich, newest member of the VSIN hosting team as well. He's been on Sharp Money basically, uh, well, as long as I can remember since the, the show's existence, now hosting The Handle with Matt Brown on weekends from over at Circa. So, Mike, great to have you on. We got NFL. We have college to talk about. We've been doing NFL here, uh, Mike, though, for the last hour. So let's just let's stay on that train as we continue here. Uh, just your quick thoughts now from your own ratings on the, the Chiefs and Lions where we dive into the actual card. Where do you stand now? How Are you in that overreaction camp, or do you believe like that was a one-off from last night? I, I'm pretty certain that was a one-off there. When you look back at that game and you look at how the Chiefs wide receivers weren't able to create that much separation, but specifically Tony in the awful game that he had with the drops, I don't feel like we saw that full Chiefs team there. And if you take away the drop pick six, 
This is a very, very different football game. Kansas City had control going into the half at 14 to 7. Weren't able to punch a couple red zone opportunities in, settled for some field goals. I thought the Lions offense was going to be better than it was. To me, that was one of the big takeaways here. The Chiefs only give up 14 points in this game on defense without Chris Jones up the middle. Uh, they they struggle with stopping the run, but Chris Jones is going to make a big part of that. To me, this is one of those sell high on the Lions, buy low on the Chiefs opportunity because I think this is a little bit of a false final score. Mike, I love your breakdown of the game, and I agree with you there. I thought one thing that got overlooked in the victory was Detroit's inability on offense to move the ball after that fake punt drive when they only put up seven points offensively going forward. Uh, Let's look towards the weekend here a little bit. Help people out. Give us some games you're looking at and some plays that you really like and looking forward to just maybe from a matchup standpoint and seeing. Give me a team or two that you're looking forward to seeing engaging if they're where you think they should be. Well, one of them, Amal, is a team I know you're not high on here. I'm really <laughs> excited to see this, the Seattle Seahawks, baby. You know it. Uh, I'm excited to see them take on the Rams here in week one. We, we know Cooper Cup is out. I'm shocked that line didn't jump up. I had Seattle favored by seven in my power ratings in this game with Cup in. So with Cup out, for me, this is just almost an auto bet here, laying the five, five and a half, depending on where you're getting it. Seattle has all systems go on the offensive side. We're going to get all three of their wide receivers out there. The offensive line is healthy. And this is a Rams secondary that is would be a good college secondary, but is a bad NFL secondary. So I think that Geno Smith absolutely going to be able to eat against this Rams secondary. And you flip it over to the other side of the ball. I'm not really sure how the Rams move the football in this game. Stafford's missing his number one weapon. Seattle's big weakness was the run. Well, they kind of solidified that on the defensive side by adding Wagner here. He's back on the Seahawks. He was on the Rams last year. I realize these were two close games last year. But that was in the later part of the season when Seattle was not playing as well. And we saw that rookie wall hit three or four of their starters. I think this is going to be a very, very good game from Seattle. I'm excited to see them blow the Rams out on Sunday. Really? Yeah. The only two injury concerns now that Smith and the Jigba has been upgraded to probable for the Seahawks. It's Jamal Adams already ruled out with a quad injury at safety. And then the rookie corner, Devin Witherspoon, questionable with a hamstring. And just from the philosophical standpoint, Mike, when you look at a game like this where you liked it, you know, at five and a half, and I'm with you, I would have powered this around uh, around a touchdown even even with the, the cup injury news even before that and, and certainly raising that a little bit. But market is now all of a sudden down to four and a half pretty much market wide, some late Rams money coming in. How do you approach that in general when lines going against you a half point a point? Are you looking to double down here, sticking to the guns or just laying off and sticking to the one bet you have? Well, I wrote an article for vcin.com today. It came out on specifically talking about week one betting. I try not to go crazy in week one because a lot of my opinions I have headed into week one are already bets that I have for the full season. I've played over in the win totals or I've played certain teams to win a specific conference. I don't want to double down and really create additional liability in week one on some of these teams. If I believe if I already have tickets in pocket that support that opinion, I'm obviously going to bet some of these games. But for me, week one is one of those half unit type weeks. I don't get up to the full unit and then press really past that until week three or four because I want to know really what to expect on the field. And I want to have some stats and some numbers to be able to look at to back that up. Uh, So I I have this in pocket at five. I'm probably not going to bet it again at uh, four and a half. As far as being concerned, the numbers going against me, this is one of those trends that you hear about all the time in division dogs week one, you got to play him. You got to play him. I think that the narrative is coming across this year. You're hearing a lot of people talk about that. We've seen a lot of these in division dogs get dropped a point or half point in the last 24 hours. I think that's where a lot of this money is coming in. Uh, It's interesting, though, when you compare the road dogs to the home dogs, the home dogs in division do phenomenal. The road dogs are about 50-50. So that same stat doesn't back up when you have an in-division road dog as you do with an in-division home dog. 
Yeah, great point there, Mike. You break down uh, from that standpoint. Just looking at over the weekend, we've got uh, four division games on Sunday and then a fifth one on Monday with the Bills traveling to the Jets. In those matchups currently, you've got three teams that are home dogs. The Jets on Monday night, the Giants, of course, on Sunday night football, currently catching between three and a half and four against Dallas. I think most of the market has now gone to three and a half. And then, of course, the Browns and the Bengals in this one at two points. Mike, for a lot of people that may not be as experienced as you from a betting standpoint, when you're looking at some of these numbers in the National Football League, do you tend to jump on them early in the week, or will you wait to see kind of where certain moves are depending on what number you're looking to gain? It's a week-by-week basis for me. Early in the season, my bets may come a little bit later, but once we get into the meat of the season, the vast majority of my bets, around 55% of them, come between Sunday at 6 p.m. and Monday at noon. If you pay attention to the market, you can figure out who is betting what teams, what groups are betting what teams, what teams have become popular with the public, and you can almost predict the moves in a lot of cases. And if you have your own power ranking set and you're able to take those power rankings and look at them right when the lines come out, if you're pretty accurate to what the market is, you'll know which games are going to move and it can put you in some phenomenal situations. A couple times last year, I was sitting there with minus two or minus two and a half tickets on the favorite that I bet on Sunday. And I was able to come back at plus three and a half or plus four on Friday or right. Saturday the, later that week. And you're able to create a wonderful middle. You really got to be betting early if you want to try and create those middles. And you got to be able to predict those moves, which is if you really pay attention, it's not that hard to predict where the money's going to come in because you see it consistently on certain teams each week. Yeah, Ben, I love the point Mike made there. And Mike, to your point, for people like yourself and myself who've been doing this a long time, I think 90% of the time you can nail which way the move is going to go. Now, there's going to be some exceptions to that. But absolutely, I think, Ben, he makes a sensational point here. It's something that people need to pay attention to. Not necessarily for this weekend now, we're past right. that point. But going into next week, you start looking at the matchups. Perfect example, Mike, to what you alluded to. Kansas City is, I believe, a two-and-a-half-point favorite at Jacksonville. Regardless of how the Jags play, this feels like, to me, off of the loss, the number's eventually going to get to the Chiefs in favor of minus three points. Kelsey's probably going to be back next week. And then also the additional three days for KC. Yeah, and if you like Kansas City, laying the two and a half now is never going to get better, yep. right? You're never going to see minus, minus two, minus one and a half. And if you do, the equity you lose from going from minus two to minus one and a half is so small compared to the equity you lose if it goes from minus two and a half to minus three, and then you're laying the full field goal. So laying that two and a half now, if you like the Chiefs, makes so much more sense because you're able to get in front of the move. And even if it moves against you, the move against you is not going to be nearly as uh, costly to your bankroll as if it moves for you. And that was a game. Look ahead was three and a half as well. So we, we've already seen the point adjustment just based on the Chiefs loss from last night. That's also a great point. We sometimes get so enamored with wanting to be on the, having the best of the number, not having the market move against us. Well, you know, if a game goes from two to one and a half against you, not not the end of the world from a, a pure equity percentage uh, standpoint here. As we're talking week one NFL with Mike Samich at SamoBomb18 on the Twitter slash X machine. We'll have Mike on talking college football in our next segment. A game that we were just discussing, Mike, though, a few minutes ago. Panthers, Falcons, I'm, I really want to bet against this Atlanta team now that they're laying over a field goal in the market, but you've got a different angle here based on some of the injuries we're seeing. How are you looking to approach this one with a, a total now that's at the 40 or 39 and a half range? Yeah, it's funny. I am not high on the Falcons at all, and I kind of echo what everyone was saying where I may actually bet them this weekend because of what's going on with Carolina. I think the better look than the side here is just taking the under on this total. If you look at the Panthers offense, if you don't have Chark, you don't have Thielen, that's going to be a huge problem in the first game for Young here playing on the offensive side. You don't really have a weapon in the backfield you can be confident in. And you look at the, the Falcons here, they're going to run the ball a lot. And Desmond Ritter, not someone I'm really scared of throwing four or five touchdowns against me. So you've got a weak offense for the Panthers and you've got what I would call a good offense for the Falcons with a big question mark at quarterback. But then on top of that, 
I don't think people are giving this Panthers D enough respect. You've got elite players at every single level on the defense, on the defense for the Panthers. They're going to want to slow this down. They're going to want to keep this game close, especially with the rookie quarterback. To me, this is a game that plays out in the teens. I, I set this number around 36 and a half. I was surprised it was as high as 39 uh, and 40 that we got earlier. It's been bet down a little bit here. To me, this is a stone cold under. I, Mike, I agree with you completely. I see it hard for either team to get to 20 points in this game. Uh, it just doesn't feel like unless there's an egregious turnover deep inside one team's own red zone, that teams are going to have to go a little bit of length of the field situation. Mike makes a great point with this Carolina defense. Very good defense. Offense is not up to speed where they need to be. Even though Atlanta, for me, has an average to below average defense, the ineptitude of the Carolina offensive line could be a problem. Sure. He talked about the injuries with Thielen and um, – Help me out here. Who's the other receiver missing? Oh, Shark. Shark, Shark uh, thank you. Out, yeah. yeah, I try to forget those LSU guys. Oh, yeah. But, you know, <laughs> the, the bottom line is, I think Mike makes a great point. Even at 39 and a half, we're still talking 21-17. You're not getting beat. It's a good spot yep. here, Ben. We, we just had Steve Fezzik on, Mike, talking. Uh, the, the, next, the game will set you up on here to close this segment. Bengals and Browns. Steve does like the Cleveland Browns in the spot, seeing them painted two-point dogs across the screen. Are you, you on that same side, or do you like Burrow and the Bengals here on the road? Sign me up for the plus two here on the Brownies. I think this is one of those games that we look down the line and we're surprised that the Browns are an underdog at home to the Bengals here. You look at the win totals. They're very, very compact inside this division. This is a big time home game for the Browns. I realize Burrow's going. I have a little concern that Burrow's going to be 100% and really be able to move around in the pocket with that leg issue as well. And his scrambling ability is one of the big time factors that makes him really tough to defend. On top of that, at some point, the Browns defense has to be elite. And if it's not this year, when to me, uh, you've got a top first or second round picks in the secondary miles Garrett on the line. You've got Smith in there as well on the line on the other side. Now, I think this is an elite level Browns defense. And I liked what I saw from Deshaun Watson during the during the preseason. I think he looked significantly better than late in the season last year. This is one of those where I, this later in the season would probably be Browns minus two. And so for me, I think there's value in taking the Browns plus the points. Yeah, we here. have the data now on Zach Taylor's head coach really, really struggles out of the gate, no matter the type of personnel he has them all. You have to think that's worth something in a spot like this. Yeah, not only that, the Browns just match up well. There are certain teams that match up well against certain opponents. Cleveland seems to match up well against Cincinnati for whatever reason. And you can still find that twos in the market. Some, though, including behind us at Circuit, now down to one and a half on that spread. We'll talk college football. There's a couple of favorites Mike likes in the Week 2 College Football card. We'll get his thoughts next as we continue here on the Friday edition of Sharp Money. Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. And that makes us FACET for life now, I guess. <laughs> Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. Residents at Brightview Senior Living Communities enjoy enhanced possibilities, independence, and choice. Brightview Dulles Corner in Herndon and Brightview, Great Falls, offer vibrant senior independent living, assisted living, and memory care services through various daily programs and cultural events. Chef-prepared meals, safety and security, transportation, resort-style amenities, and high-quality care. Everything you need is here. Discover more at brightviewseniorliving.com. Equal housing opportunity. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. 
the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80. Live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer.